Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Tea with HB is for everyone who dreams of a better world. Together, let's brew a new reality. (sighs) Connectivity, noun. The state of being connected or interconnected. In a world where it is seemingly so simple to connect with each other, it is disheartening to see how disconnected we can be. From online abuse to fake news, the tools that should empower us and connect us are often used to divide us and pit us against one another. Today I am joined by Jaylene, an activist for social justice and sustainability, and a recent philosophy graduate. We talk about online activism, community-based action, and how our current political system can sometimes prevent us from achieving the change we desperately need. To fully enjoy today's episode, brew yourself a cup of strong rooibos tea. It's caffeine-free and packed with antioxidants. Hi, Jaylene. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Very happy to be here. So today we're talking all things sustainability, climate, and for people who are not so familiar with that topic, what would you say is the most important part of climate activism or what is climate activism? Um, so that's a pretty good question because I think different people define it really differently. But in my in my view, climate activism is pretty much just advocating for people and the planet. And I feel like this is something that gets often misconstrued um, in climate climate activism. Like people think that we are just talking about the planet, whereas the planet and people completely interchangeable. Yeah. And intersectionality is is so important when you're thinking about buying clothes, for example. It's not just about the material and whether it's from animals. It's about how that material is made. Exactly. And who is making it. Yeah. And so who is impacting. Really interconnected. Yeah. All of it. And, you know, something really important to me is making climate activism accessible and inclusive. And mm-hmm. I think especially recently because of corona and all sorts of different reasons, a lot of activism has been taking place online, which you'd think would be a really accessible place. But obviously you have this one problem of it being kind of shameful to only do your activism online because it's somehow slacktivism mm-hmm. is a term that's been coined. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then there's also the other side to it, which is, as far as disability goes at least, Instagram and these platforms that we use to try and spread awareness for protests or whatever, they punish you when you are not active on those apps. So if you have a condition like I do, where you need to take breaks from screens for whatever reason, then once you go back on, the algorithm is punishing you. So the posts that you're making about these important topics that you care about aren't shared 
that's a very good point. Um, and I think like this whole idea of equating social media activism to selectivism avoids the sort of nuance. Like um, social media activism is only like selectivism if we're considering it um, in terms of able-bodied people doing it, right? Um, so in regular times, um, people who are able-bodied are able to like go to protests and go to community group meetings within like buildings that aren't necessarily accessible for people with disabilities. There's this whole like narrative being pushed right now that we everyone needs to go beyond social media without realizing that not everyone can go beyond social media. And then also, I think there is an extent to which social media activism can be really, really powerful because um, think about how many really young people it has mobilized. Like I remember a few weeks ago I was on TikTok and there was this TikTok that had gone viral. It was just an educational anti-racism video talking about um, the need to go beyond the online. But all of the comments were like 12 to 15 year olds saying, oh, I'm 12. I can't go to protest. Like I, I can't do that. There aren't any in my small town. And it's the same issue with people who have disabilities. And I think that is something that we really need to reevaluate when we're trying to berate people for the kind of activism they do. Like any work is work, you know, that's how I look at it. Exactly. And you're right. It has mobilised, as you say, a lot of younger people, which is so brilliant. But exactly on that topic, I mean, we're probably all familiar with that statistic of 100 companies are responsible for 71 percent of emissions, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. But another thing that they're kind of doing that is, I think, equally negative, <laughs> even though it's it's not I mean, it is on a global scale, but it's a lot more personal and direct, I feel, is that sort of subtle distraction technique that's being used to put the onus on the consumer and ask you, what are you doing? How are you changing your actions? And in one sense, it's amazing that, that we have these people kind of saying, you need to go to protests and you need to try and eat less meat. Like, all of that is amazing. But then shouldn't we be uniting against the companies that are actually causing it? Because even if all of us made perfect decisions, the impact we'd be having would still be so tiny in comparison to these companies. Exactly. And that is like that should be the center of like climate justice and environmental advocacy, because I find that especially on online, on Instagram, um, the focus is a lot on the individual and like what individual things you can do. And then I feel like this narrative is something that has been pushed by big companies, like you're saying. Like, oh yeah, it benefits them. Exactly. They profit from our unhappiness. Yeah, <laughs> I think the first uh, like carbon footprint calculator was actually developed by BP, and they had this huge ad campaign, like saying everyone needs to neutralize the amount of carbon that they um, produce. Literally, it's just trying to individualize a problem that they have created. You know, it's just trying to uh, redirect responsibility. It doesn't make any difference if everyone on the planet has neutral carbon if BP is still doing the things that BP does. Yeah, you know? they, they have the biggest responsibility. Yeah. They're in charge of the majority of it. Exactly. It's it's the most ridiculous thing. It's so ridiculous. And, and that's not to say that being vegan or being low waste or whatever is is not good and you shouldn't be trying to do that. I think those are very admirable goals. Absolutely. But it shouldn't be the centre. Yeah as you say. And I think that's the really dangerous thing is all this eco-anxiety and guilt and shaming other people when you feel like they've said they're vegan and now they're eating something that's not vegan or they're eating something in plastic packaging. And it's it's just developing this division um, between people who actually agree on the basics 
And what we should be doing is kind of uniting against the people who are causing it in the first place, the governments who are not putting laws in place to stop fast fashion and to stop single-use plastic. Yeah, and I feel like this whole um, narrative of individualising the problem, it discourages the kind of solidarity that you would need to um, kind of confront these issues. And it's, it's a massive distraction, that's all it is. It is, it's a distraction technique, yeah. It's quite scary, actually. <laughs> really scary. And the fact that we just were falling for it. Seems... Uh, yeah, a lot of us seem to be. I think humans have an obsession with, well, I know they do, clearly, with categorisation and labelling. It's been like our pretty much ultimate downfall. It's why we have so much inequality, because we've just decided that certain categories are more valuable than others. Yeah. And it's a yeah. complete fallacy. Exactly. Because like they're they don't exist. They're just concepts. They're, exactly. They're completely arbitrary. Exactly. They don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> that really feeds into this, you know, this eco anxiety of not doing enough, which is paired with this fear in these spaces where there is a lot of perfectionism. There is a lot of well, you're not vegan if you're doing this, and you're not zero waste if you're doing this, and actually, that's not what we need to be talking about right now. And it's another semi-arbitrary thing. Like, even though these things do matter, like going vegan, it's better for the planet in the in the long run. It isn't the main thing that we need to get to where we need to get. And it, it doesn't help when it then leads to shaming other people and creating this us versus them dynamic. Yeah, exactly. Which no one needs. No one needs that. In your activism, if there was one thing you could preach oh god say you made a post and you were certain that it was going to go viral oh that's such a big question <laughs> what would you say what would you want people okay to- i would say i think the main thing i would want people to understand in like this one post that went viral and everyone saw i think i would stress the importance of community i think that's what i would do because i feel like uh, a lot of what is happening in activism and actually um michaela loach talks about this is the we pedal this this we like put people on pedal stools right um like individual activists who are doing great work like it's brilliant but that isn't how we do anything like by having a few people who we admire and not doing anything ourselves it 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 feels like it feels like we're doing work by like admiring them but we're not it's so easy to fall into that exactly yeah and it's like oh i've shared this post or um, I've read the book that recommended by this person, but I haven't, excuse me, but I haven't actually gone out into my community and implemented the things that I've learned. That's the problem. It's like, it's fine to learn from these people and they're amazing. Like they're doing great work, but that isn't where it should end. The reason that we um, push this whole like idolization of individual people again is because um, like we don't, <laughs> We don't know anything else. Like celebrity culture is something that we've grown up with. It's been around for forever. Um, And we don't know the power of collective change because it's not really something that I guess, even in Britain, people have really experienced. I think about that a lot because, I mean, family is not the best example because there are many dysfunctional families. True, yeah. (laughs) But if our MPs were like uncles... And you could go around to their house for a coffee and be like, this is really stressing me out and I really think this needs changing. Yeah. That sense of community would have so much more power. Exactly. You know? And you could hold an intervention for them with your whole village. 
to get them to vote a certain way. And then, like, this is another... That's a really good point, actually. This is another thing I've been thinking about recently. Like, the fact that we do put people on pedestals and then they do things wrong. And because we see them as this exceptional figure, we don't see them as human. They're, like, past human. We don't, like, allow them the kind of grace that you would allow someone... You would allow for your friend. Exactly. It just extends to this whole thing of people not wanting to themselves do what needs to be done and would rather praise others for doing what needs to be done when it should be like the other way around and i've noticed a lot within my friendships that uh my friends will have really good ideas yeah and they'll have really intelligent thoughts and they'll be afraid to say them not necessarily because they've pedestaled this person but because they feel oh this person has different experiences and has read more books than i have or they're black or they're disabled or they're gay and like say it better and that's not true we should all be listening to each other but just because we have different experiences doesn't mean some people have better knowledge i think it all stems from this idea that there's there's a destination in in activism or in learning or in any of these things there's a destination to get to Mm -hmm. if i read this many books then I'm then I'm valid in in saying my piece. Yeah, or, I, I know enough to say. Yeah, something. or if I've had this many conversations, then I can take up space with my opinion. And we're all lifelong learners, right? Whether we call ourselves that or not, that's what the human experience is. Yeah, and I think this is actually like a really big barrier to like activism generally, um, because people think again that it is just this you need to have there's like a threshold of information you have to know or people you have to know or followers you have to have, um, when there isn't. And um for like a really I I kind of struggled with this a bit too, because like I wanted to speak out and talk about like my experiences. But I was like, well, who's going to listen? Like, no one's going to listen to me. But then, like, one day I was just like, well, I have this. I have my friends. I have my family. They'll listen to me. And that's it. That's all that you is, need. <laughs> that is literally it. But something I realized recently was it's not about reaction. It's not about how many likes you get or how many comments you get or how many people share your post even. It's about interaction. It's about the people engaging with you and coming into your DMs and having, you know, a half hour discussion with you about the topic that you care about. And that can be one person. And that will mean far more to me than a post that went viral, but nobody actually read. They just thought it was good to share because it made I completely agree. Like, because it's all about perception. Being able to have like doing the post and then them inciting a sort of dialogue outside of the post itself. I think that's the most important kind of like engagement, interaction, whatever, like. I never particularly care about like likes and shares and comments or whatever, but I do really, really care about like DMs. I really care about talking to people about these issues directly. That's really interesting to me because I grew up while social media was coming out, basically. So I didn't get it for a very long time because I was very dubious of it. And when I did get it, I did not understand Mm -hmm. why people were following accounts that made them feel bad because I didn't follow anyone I didn't know in real life because I was like what that doesn't seem right and and when I first joined like I wouldn't I wouldn't like everything and I still don't I I would only like things that I actually liked and slowly over the years what what this what these platforms that we live on now have done to us is made it mindless made liking things mindless and liking things hobbies passions that desire for human communication 
it shouldn't be subconscious. Yeah. And I don't think it's natural for us to be aware of, and not only aware of, but being asked to donate, being asked to do something about the entire globe's problems. That's so unnatural, because we've never lived like this. Exactly, and, and we don't know the long-term effects, right? Yeah, so what exactly. what is it doing to us long-term? Yeah. Are, are there any things that you put in place as kind of protection, as boundaries, to look after your mental health on social media? Yeah, so I, uh, one thing that I do is I am like a pretty early riser. Like I'll wake up between like seven and eight most days, but I make a point of, I don't go on my phone until, uh, a couple hours later. So like I'll try and have the morning to myself. If I'm doing, if I have a lot of uni work, I'll do some uni work. But generally what I'll do is like no phone until 10 or 11 and then do something for me like yoga journal um, and then do something productive, uni work, prepare something for, like, work, whatever. I don't go on my phone till 10 or 11 either because I wake up at 10. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I wish I could sleep. I try to make a habit of not going on social media until after lunch. Okay, that's smart. So I can use my phone, I can say good morning to my boyfriend, yeah. like, whatever. But I'm not I'm not going to use social media until I'm, in, until I'm posting. I, I don't want to go on there to mindlessly scroll <laughs> i think i think that's like a very um good way of doing it because the reason i didn't go on my phone at all is because whenever i'm on my phone i go on social media like there's no self-control when i once i'm on yeah. there and that's the thing i want to build up that self-control and that's why i'm trying to have like a boundary where i'm using my phone but i'm not clicking that app i also try and take one day off usually like a saturday because i like to post on a sunday but i'll usually take a saturday and i won't go on instagram or if i do i'll like i make sure i'm not posting like stories or anything just take a day off yeah so so if instagram were a friend of yours and they were treating you like this right okay <laughs> like sometimes not reading what you post um so sometimes not listening to you for example um would we be friends with them no oh that was no hesitation i would have cut this person off years ago years ago yeah. so, so this is so toxic and it's not it's not an ethical way of sharing knowledge i i don't no. think no it, i don't think partly so. because it's monetized like there's advertising so that it will always be biased right people who are sponsored sometimes will seen more. like online spaces aren't very nuanced that's another way in which it's quite unethical um, and that in order to form a full perspective, you need all sides of the conversation. And generally online, you only get one side and that just depends on which side you ascribe to. And that's quite a problem. That's what I like to say. Like, I don't engage in debate with people who are committed to misunderstanding me. Um, but yeah, when you get these kinds of people, it's, it's awful. And they send you terrible DMs with racist language and just awful, awful things. Um, and like, I feel like in... In that sense, I do see why people do turn their comments off and, like, do um, limit their community. But, like, in another sense, I'm also, like, what is the impact of this on the, like, information you're sharing? It just doesn't seem, I mean, just as a whole, it doesn't seem to be the most constructive way to get a point across. Yeah, that's true. And, and then, and you're, without hesitation... We're like, we wouldn't be friends with this person. <laughs> They're so toxic. We would have left them yeah. years ago. And yet, we Everything, use it every day. Every day. It's my most used app. Like, I've deleted all of my 
Yeah, I've deleted all my other ones bar like, I don't know, Messenger or something. And I just have Instagram because it was distracting me. Like everything else was distracting me. And Instagram does still distract me, but I just, it was the one I felt I couldn't not, I couldn't delete, you know? But again, the onus, the onus is on the consumer, right? Like these are things that should be being fixed by this platform that knows it's toxic, that knows it's biased, that knows it's ableist, knows it's racist, knows it's fatphobic, right? And yet... It's on us to check our screen time. It's on us to not use these apps that are designed to be addictive and designed to make us feel bad and designed to profit. It's individualizing the problem again, which is just the crux of this whole thing. Like, yeah, we need to stop doing that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, so you you have this mute function, you have this unfollow function. And yet still, there are people I really, really like to follow and I want to see most of what they're saying. But every now and then they'll share a post or share words they've written or whatever saying something like, you know, white disabled people, you need to do more or... Oh, gosh. Um, do people say that? With... <laughs> yeah. Oh and and this, is, this is, again, this can be within the disabled community. And often, like, I think they have a good point. Like, just because you're disabled doesn't mean you don't have white privilege. Okay, like, yeah. For sure. Mm. There's, there's a point there. However... Again, I just feel like it's this sort of attack mode. You wouldn't speak to someone like that in real no, life without knowing their this name. Is, you wouldn't put that on your door for 24 yeah. hours to your community, right? Thing, yeah. And going back to exactly what you were saying, it's, it's social media, right? And we, we say mm. that we're trying to build a community, right? That's what our audience is. That's what our following yeah. is. And yet often people speaking people with these thousands hundreds of thousands of followers speaking to other people in that way like i i in one sense i get it but then on days when i'm not feeling so hot i'm like oh my god this makes me feel so bad because i'm doing as much as i can am i not doing enough i'm in so much pain like what the hell what do i do and i don't yeah this generalization of you know, if you're not part of the trans community, you need to be doing more. If you're not part of the Asian community, you need to be doing more. It's absolutely true. It's true. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Because we all need to speak up for each other, right? But it's more complicated than that, I think. And, like, this is the trouble with these sorts of posts. Like, I, I have a, I have an issue with them, too. Because some days I'm like, you know what? No, I don't want to talk about anything today, right? Stop telling me to do what to do. There's like this weird culture of shame and it, what it does, it has this really, really awful effect. So we have this, like, let's say we have this big influencer, like you said, who's saying we need to stand up for like trans rights, for example. And then you're like, okay, well, I I understand that we need to, I'm just not feeling it right now necessarily. Or like, I don't want to be online right now. Um, But then you feel like you kind of have to, right? Because everyone's talking about it. The buzz is there. Everyone's like, yeah, let's let's talk about this. But that's the interesting thing, right? Everyone isn't talking about it. It's not what's happening right now. Right now, you're looking at a flower. Like, not everyone's talking about it. (laughs) And then, like, the problem with it is, like, then there's this pressure to, to say this thing. And it's like, you won't have taken the time to go... Because you're already not in the mood, you wouldn't have taken the time to get... Yeah, you won't understand what you're saying. Exactly. exactly. It's performative. It's performative. It's because you want to be perceived as talking about it too. Like It goes straight back to fear of exactly. missing out or fear of saying the wrong thing or fear of someone coming at you saying, why aren't you speaking up about it? And it's just... I really struggle with it because there seem to be like a set of rules mm-hmm. as well, like unspoken rules and spoken rules. Like you don't want to waste people's 
time. You want to be able to do the work for yourself so that you're not going into people's DMs and, and wasting their energy. But then if you're only talking to people who agree with you, then you're not improving your mindset yeah. and your opinions. Like, and this, yeah, this is a really good point because it, I feel like the reason that I have, so I'm, I'm a big advocate for so many like different perspectives is like because of my degree because of philosophy because you can't write an essay and consider no other sides you can't do that you won't do well um so like I've developed this really really good technique I think personally of like whenever I agree with something really like a lot I will try and find something that could potentially challenge my agreement with that thing and then try and justify my agreement to that yes so then I know that I'm in a yes. good place and yeah. if I can't justify it then I just have to reevaluate. it's so weird because there are people who need to be told hey you need to do more research on this yeah. you don't know enough about this but I just feel like the the messages don't land in the right places so rather than it being a and empowering, hey, you could learn more about this, here's what you can do to help the cause, it turns into shaming the people who are already trying their best. Yeah, exactly. And that's, it. again, it's the it's centralising the wrong thing. It, there shouldn't be a culture of shame. And the fear I have is, is the people who it does reach, who do need to hear it, who do need to be trying harder... A, they're probably not going to see it. B, if they see it, they're probably amongst the people who are going to be like, ah, oh, this doesn't apply to me. Who is that generalisation and that wording benefiting? And then I also feel like if um, there's this constant, that if the same messages are constantly being distributed in the same way, like with this like culture of shame, like, oh, you need to speak for this group, this group, this group, it'll get to a point at which... Um, no one, it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. No one's going to take it seriously. When something, when like someone really, we really need to speak up for a certain group, everyone's going to be like, well, they said that about literally every group ever, so we don't. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that's the other thing. And that I think this is the most important point. It shouldn't be a trend for you to have to speak up about yeah. it. It shouldn't be because a terrible thing has just happened. And you shouldn't care because you know someone who's gay or you know someone who's disabled you should care because you're here yeah and all of the time that should be the basis exactly and like this is actually such a problem i have and i was thinking about it earlier because every time something terrible happens okay so i talk about racism anti-racism justice all year round every every day every week i talk about it but when something really really bad happens that's when a bunch of people start to pay attention it's when my like following goes up it's when people like start reaching out to have me on their various thing and, and i'm like why does someone have to die for you to like suddenly be like oh i need to listen to this woman who's talking about racism like why didn't you listen to me on a random day tuesday in april like why did someone have to die there are people who who have always been interested in these things and yeah have cared about it and like yes we're all in racist systems and we're all in ableist systems and we're upholding that just by living because we can't control how systems treat us mm -hmm. or how other True. people treat us but it is hard i think and i think people are afraid to say this when you feel like you're trying your best and then you're singled out if i was trying to get people to talk about disability which hardly anyone outside the disabled community outside the disabled community as in carers, people with friends who are disabled, people with 
siblings, family members who are disabled. Hardly anyone talks about that. And if I was trying to get them to talk about that, I wouldn't say to them, able-bodied people, you need to do X, Y, Z. Because who am I talking to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in the same way we say, we say, cis, het people, you need to be doing this. Or white people, you need to be doing this. It's too general. Yeah. I'm afraid of it. And I never, I, I mean, maybe it's just the way I was brought up because my mum is always like, that's a generalisation. Can't say that. Be specific. Who are you talking about? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but it's, yeah. it seems to switch people this off. interesting. I don't see how it's helping. I just feel like there could be a better way of phrasing things. Yeah. Like it doesn't allow for um, like individual responsibility, if that makes sense. So for example, like I'm a black woman, right? And that's, I acknowledge that. There are certain things that I've experienced that other black women will have also experienced, but there are many things that um, they've experienced that I haven't experienced. And I don't think you should be able to say that, oh, this group are this thing because not everyone in that group is that thing. I'm not loving that of late, especially online. No. And I feel like, I feel like last year when it was a trend with Black Lives Matter and then and th- things across time, like we know these cycles yeah, happen, right? True. But it's, it's helpful to have that community-based solidarity of we all identify as this thing. Yeah. But I feel then what, what follows after that is very dangerous because it's almost increasing stereotyping people. Yeah, exactly. And like, I, like you were saying, like to an extent having groups and some generalities is useful but I think also what it ends up doing is like for the for those who don't necessarily fall into whatever's being described it does exclude them and that that's when things become very like sticky even if there weren't these issues with categorization and with grouping people I still don't think it would be the most advanced way humans could develop to communicate with each other that's true that's a really good point yeah like there are better ways of doing this we're currently just not not doing it well for future generations to make sure that we're not leaving this toxic legacy that is the path we're currently on how would you change the way of communication the way of thinking to achieve that sense of community that we were talking about which doesn't currently exist okay so i think at the core of like all of these crises, like the climate crisis, just general inequality. The problem here is morality and empathy. I think it is a crisis of empathy because one of the things that would um, not reverse the climate crisis, but help a little bit is if we had a bit, if we redistributed resources more fairly, pretty much like that's the first thing. And the second thing that I think needs to be done, um, and that is the problem of capitalism, is reversing this whole idea of like greed. And I feel like we need to shift from this, this idea that freedom is ownership to freedom as community. And we do that by destroying capitalism, friends. That's how we do that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can leave me a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can also find me on Patreon, Instagram and YouTube. And for more, check out my newsletter and website www.twithhb.com. Thank you for staying with me until the end of the episode. To show my appreciation, here's a preview of next week's episode. Beauty with you guys. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. Shame is not inherent. We are not born feeling ashamed of our stomachs. 
Yet lots of us grow up not wanting to go to the beach because we feel insecure about them. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.